Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right, go for it. Good morning, everyone. It's the one and only V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live with our main guy here, the main man of the hour, the one and only London Paul. With uh, that being said, folks, check out his website, theseriousreport.com, theseriousreport.com. And if you have not done so already, you need to do yourself a favor and get over there, subscribe. For less than the price of a Starbucks, venti, latte, frappuccino, macchino, macchino, lucchino, wappuccino, you can get yourself, instead of a fuzzy, frilly drink from Starbucks, you can get yourself a membership to the Sears Report where you'll actually get real useful information. Now, you might not agree with the fact that, that London Paul is not a big fan of this whole QAnon stuff, and that might that might get you all mad that, that me and Paul stand uh, shoulder to shoulder when it comes to that regard with this, uh, this character called Q, and that might piss you off. But if that does make you mad, still subscribe because, folks, a smart person takes all data and all intel from everywhere, and he garners it, he festoons it into what makes sense. He is able to filter it and figure it out, and what doesn't make sense to him at the moment, what does he do? He simply files it away, or he makes note of it and puts it away for a later date to be looked at and to see how things play out. In this vastly fast-moving, event-driven paradigm that is constantly in flux, you cannot hold a position for too long. You simply cannot hold a position for too long because the event-driven scenarios that we're in today is constantly changing. And this is why beautiful, well-written, well-executed, well-spoken reports, like you see on the, on the series report, Dot com and the intel report that Paul gives you on a daily is vital. If you haven't done so already, my God, my God, cancel your, your subscription to Candy Crush, the unlimited package saga, <laughs> Candy Crush saga on your iPhone. Cancel your subscription to that. TheSeriousReport.com. Get yourself educated. Understand the global chessboard. Sears Report. Com. With that being said, London Paul, how are you, sir? Yeah, good morning, V, and good morning, afternoon, and evening to, to everyone listening, wherever they might be. In, yeah, a very, very, very fast-paced changing world. But how are you, anyway? I'm doing good, man. I mean, CJ has this uh, wonderful thing pulled up. CJ, could you pull up that quote from WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks itself? I mean, you know, the Q fans are big fans of WikiLeaks, so when WikiLeaks throws Qs under the bus, what are the Q fans going to do? It says, while we suspect the QAnon phenomenon is likely 4chan trolls engaging in a live-action role-play version of the Delphic Oracle, it is also clear that many are aware of its manipulative potential and will usurp it if they have not already. Uh, I re refer to the QAnon today as a Pied Piper operation. What I meant by this is that the operation... And see, wasn't this what we all, all three of us have been saying from Jump Street? That the operation exists to round up people that are otherwise dangerous to the deep state because they are genuinely opposed to it and usurp their time and attention and trick them into serving its aims. Isn't, isn't, I mean, I mean, we're in June. The only person that got arrested is Harvey Weinstein. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think the thing is the, I mean, well, one thing is, and someone pointed out this to me, cause I don't really, and in truth, I don't pay much attention to what Q says, but there was nothing for an entire week posted. Now, given the amount of things that are going on, that in itself seems a little bit puzzling. And look, there's no doubt Q said a lot of things that you know are reality. And I do, I don't doubt at some point, you know, there is all these uh, sealed indictments. They will be opened up, and people will be arrested. And they will have a catalytic effect. 
throughout the cabal deep state and beyond i don't doubt this is going to happen it's something we said way way back so this isn't a, a phenomenon by any stretch of the imagination it's something we said I think probably one of the first times, I mean, obviously Trump was elected before I first went, came on Rogue Money, but I was talking on other things prior to that and saying his job is to take a wrecking ball to the cabal. And there's no doubt about it. So there's no doubt that the that, that things that Q's discussed are absolutely correct. The problem is, is it's setting people's expectation. And we've said it where it's, it's going to happen in March. No, it's going to happen in April. And there was supposed to be something uh, happening with the Pope in May. Well, it's nearly the end of May. And the list goes on. And the problem is, in, in the end, people get fatigued by it because they're going, well, things aren't happening in the, in the order it's supposed to be. Well, no, because it isn't date-driven. It's event-driven. And things eventually, yes, will come to pass. And no doubt in the end, yeah, the deep state will collapse or the cabal will collapse in the entire Western world, of course, that it, that, and that is already in process. So, but the problem is it's, it's become a situation where people are hanging on, you know, if you don't, if you're not fully engaged with Q, then people have an issue with you. You have a problem. That is extremely unhealthy. No one's, I'm not suggesting people should say, okay, believe everything I say without checking out. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have a track record of getting things right. We have a track record of where we discuss things and they come to pass. So that track record gives the credibility to what we're saying. Well, the thing with Q is where's the track record? I mean, eventually, yes, things will happen. And then people say, well, Q said, well, yes, Q did say things. And undoubtedly, they will happen. But I think it's become a situation where it shouldn't be where, you know, where I've had people saying, well, you don't know what you're talking about because Q does and you, you don't know. It's, that's not the way it should be. People should be saying, well, okay, there's aspects of this, it works, but how about there are other people who are saying things and it, and it complements, or maybe it's something but different. I think, I mean, the question is now, what are people going to make of this because WikiLeaks has said this? Because therefore that, that's going to start wrinkling people up uh, in the process because they're going to say, well, hang on, how does this square? And I think, I think the fact the comments being made is now just going to make it's going to polarize people more and the, the problem is people will say well q said that you know we, we're going to get attacked and therefore you know and these people are just doing that they're just proving our point but you know the point is is that it's not a question of even attacking people that the point i say with q is worse the, the proof of the pudding is is when are things happening when you're saying they are and if they're not because if i kept saying this is going to happen in March or this is going to happen in April or this is going to happen in May, people will start to get very angry and say, well, hang on, you keep saying this and it's not happening. But they're giving Q the latitude to say, well, okay, you know, that's perfectly acceptable. Well, it shouldn't be. People should be saying, well, hang on, okay, you're making a lot of points, you're saying a lot of things that resonate and make sense, but you're putting dates on things that don't ever come to pass. And that's because at the end of the day, they're not going to come to pass. And, you know, the point is, I mean, someone said to me, oh, the whole, you know, um, JCPOA deal was a cabal deal. And, and apparently this all came out from Q. And if it is, OK, I don't know. But that's what someone said to me. Well, my basic bottom line to that is, is who are the two nations as much as anyone who want to preserve the deal? China and Russia. China and Russia are not cabal nations. And in fact, China and Russia would be far better off if the deal collapsed because they would take all the trade and deals away from Europe and have it for themselves. So economically, they benefit far more from the deal collapsing. So why are they so desperate to keep the deal going? There's, that, that's, that, you know, there's all these factual questions and people need to ask themselves. It's rather like the idea, oh, well, they, they destroyed, you know, cabal chemical weapons uh, facilities in Syria. No, they didn't. That is proven because here's the point. If they had, where was all the chemical weapons dispersal? There was none. There was absolutely none. And don't we think that Assad, the first thing Assad would have said if that was true was, well, the West struck these facilities and they've unleashed all these chemical weapons into the atmosphere and killed thousands or tens of thousands of my civilians. What an absolute massive own goal that would have been for the Trump administration and a big positive for the Assad government and it never happened because Assad would have done that the yeah. Russians would have done it the Chinese would have done it so no that isn't what happened 
And that's where I have issues in the consistency of things that are going on. At least when we discuss things, we point out, okay, well, if that's true, what about the basis of the fact that the JCPOA agreement? And by by all accounts, and I've seen uh, a copy of something where there is a front sheet of the JCPOA agreement that has been signed by all nations concerned, including the Iranians and the Chinese and the Russians and the Americans, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea that the deal was never signed. But the point is, it doesn't matter whether the deal was signed or wasn't. The U.S. walked away from the deal, and all that did was was create distrust yeah. in, in the rest of the world's viewpoint of the U.S., saying, well, the U.S. has walked away from an agreement. Right. We can argue about whether the legality of it, and yes, ultimately it is true that <clears throat> the, the treaty should have been ratified by individual parliaments, but that's not the point. The point is that you know, an agreement's put in place, and for whatever reason, the Trump administration walked away from it. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to go into massive details about well, the St. Petersburg one, one International thing, Forum. Yeah, go well, on. One, one quick thing I want to say is this: is before the maniacal mustache, there was the haircut looking for a brain, and that was uh, John Kerry. And uh, one of the things when the JCPOA was first signed, the haircut looking for a brain, aka John Kerry, said this: it was he he kind of blurted it once and was quickly swept under the rug. I, I know you probably remember this. It is when when uh, John Kerry said, "Oh, the reason why we did the Iran deal is because this is about uh, you know this is about the petrodollar." Yeah, absolutely, and, and yeah, yeah because... it's about saving, it's keeping the dollar relevant because we were heading towards a total isolation. So I don't know what the uh, the exact uh, uh, motivations were, or or you know, or the strategies were behind uh, John Kerry and what he was doing with uh, with the Iran deal, but the U.S. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, maybe, we were heading over. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the basic bottom line was to say was to save the petrodollar because they knew if they isolated Iran, that around all around do would they they take all the, the oil trade and everything else, give it trade with the Russians and the Chinese and kill the dollar in the process. Well, well, that's exactly what's now happening. So in that sense, it, it proves the point eloquently. Okay, yeah, we're not. I'm not saying I don't know whether there was some strange side deals going on somewhere, et cetera. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. We've said this before, but the point is, A, we don't know, and B, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't materially change the fact that the deal was put in place because as well, it would it did create some element of stability. Whether, I mean, I don't think Iran, Iran for over a decade has shown no inclination to want to create nuclear weapons. It was all theoretical it was all written on paper but it was never reality it was a bargaining tool to get them back into the to the global financial system so they could trade as a nation because their economy's been under the thumb for the best part of four decades that that that's the bottom line and the and the reality to why it suits the iranians and and it the, the point is as soon as if iran walks away and the deal collapses it will, will create more instability in the Middle East. At the end of the day, this is back to this point where everyone thinks the cabal wants all-out war. Well, the reality is they don't want, they want the threat of all-out war to make nations capitulate. But when it comes to crunch, they don't want World War Three because what, what benefit is reducing the world to a dust pile for that? Nothing. What are you going to control? Just nothing. No, it's the, it's the threat of doing that that then intimidates nations into backing off and backing away. And also they'll only ever pick on nations who are weak, who they think that they can manipulate. So for example, they thought, you know, Libya could be quite unstable. So what does Gaddafi do? He wants the gold back, Dino. Okay, let's get removed him. Saddam wants uh, to sell uh, you know, his oil for euros. Okay, we can remove him because there's instability. And they'll only pick on weaker nations. They're never going to pick a war with Iran. Because it's a war they'll never win. And the US knows this. So even if, as we said, if Netanyahu suddenly really you know, decided to go full throttle and want to go to war with the Iranians, people inside the US administration would say, no, absolutely not. It's intimidation. They wanted to intimidate uh, uh, North Korea. And North Korea are not intimidated simply because they have the backing of Russia and China. So does. Iran, and ultimately, so they're not—they just call a bluff and say, "No, we're not falling for this." And increasingly, and you made the point where you said 
nations like India are saying, we're not imposing sanctions. And by the way, we're just going to de-dollarize in the process because nations are no longer afraid of the threat of de-dollarization. Why? Because the whole basis of the whole reset is there's a whole alternative platform that exists that means that the use of SWIFT, et cetera, is no longer needed. Neither is the IMF, the World Bank, all these things. They're redundant. So these nations go, well, we don't, we don't have that fear anymore because the platform exists. That means we can circumvent these problems. That, that's the basic bottom line with this. And that's why I, you know, I'm perfectly happy. I don't mind anybody. I mean, there's people in the alternative media. I don't agree with a lot what they do and say, but they do do a lot of good in one sense because they wake people up to the fact that you know, the world isn't the way they think it is. So in that sense, it's, um, that's be, you know, is a positive. And, you know, and, and the fact is I don't have, I have any problems with that. But the problem I have is when things, people will discuss things. And then as soon as you do, you drill into any detail, the argument falls apart. And, but they'll still persist in, in thinking that's a reality. Well, I mean, I don't doubt one day the, the deep state, the cabal will be gone in the US. Of, of that, there's no doubt. But it's a really long path to get there. It's, it's convoluted. It's going to be problematic. But yes, eventually it will. And at some point, the US will be a great nation amongst equals and fulfill all the potential it should have ever done. But that's some, some way down the track. It's not decades away, but it's not going to happen overnight. That is, that is irrefutable. And, and, and to a large extent, Trump's doing all the things he exactly should do, which is taking a wrecking ball to the ball. But the problem is in the process, you have to take a wrecking ball to the dollar. And the dollar's the thing that's propped up the US for all these years. Without the dollar, the US would collapse. And unfortunately, that's the problem that, that the US faces. But it's the only way to rid the world of the cabal. And for that, Trump deserves huge credit to actually agree to do what he's doing. Because it's a thankless task. The amount of grief he gets, the amount of stick he gets, the problem he has in foreign policy is the likes of Bolton. But you can see over North Korea that there's been some intelligent moves where undoubtedly Bolton convinced Trump to walk away from the, from the uh, North Korea deal. And someone inside the administration has said, hang on a minute, this is ridiculous and these are the reasons why. And that's why they're, they're, they're now with a bit of luck, the summit's back on and there's certain, you know, there's been a summit happening already in, in Singapore and, and there's person, you know, envoys going to the US to get the thing on track. But the point is, the, nor the North and South Korea are, are, are running the show here, even more so now than, than the Chinese and the Russians. They're in a sporting role. They're the two nations that have to resolve their differences. It's great if the US is on board and, and hopefully, you know, they will be. But it's not a game changer. The, the US don't want to play ball. The North and South Koreans and go, well, do you know what? We'll just sort our own deal out. We'll denuclearize. We'll have unification, resolve our problems. And we don't need the US to, 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 to help us in that regard. And they don't. This is why. Why do we think? I mean, was it a big surprise when Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in met again at the demilitarized zone for a second meeting? After a few days ago, apparently the rumors were, oh, North Korea is annoyed with South Korea. No, they're not. They're playing a game. And they're playing the game to make to to get the U.S. back in line, because they know at the end of the day it makes common sense and it's eminent sense to have the U.S. on board, and and being part of a positive process in the Korean Peninsula, rather than them having to do it without the the, the U.S. Because it's going to be it's going to be more challenging, of course, because the U.S. has a military presence there. But there isn't some grand game going on where oh no well you know. The, the North Koreans are just playing games. The, the U.S. walked away because it was a game. No, they walked away because they meant it. But that's because Bolton, that's Bolton doesn't want it, uh, you know, peace in the, in the Korean Peninsula. Why? Because when they do, the U.S. has no reason to be there anymore. It doesn't need a military presence, which is great for the U.S. because it will save them, well, countless billions, along with all the other military bases they've got around the world that they don't need, which the money could then be diverted and spent. Um, to uh, for you know on the economy spent on infrastructure and rebuilding the u.s and making it the great nation it should be and not a nation that 
that feels obliged to have hundreds of military bases around the world that cost them huge amounts of money and ultimately is of no benefit to the US whatsoever. It's completely self-defeating. But of course, the neocon elements like Bolton, that's what they want. Because that's all they, they live for is that the US has to keep having this war footing around the world and having military bases. And But it, ultimately, Trump knows it's self-defeating and it's pointless having them. Yeah, absolutely correct. Paul, today the markets are reeling. Uh, they are uh, right now in a tailspin because of all the news coming out of Italy. Uh, why don't you, uh, you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, yeah, Italy, well, I think Italy is a very good example of a number of aspects that we've talked about from time to time. The thing with Italy is that's large and it's the third biggest economy in the Eurozone. It's very tightly linked to the French banking system. And of course, Germany's on the hook for 95% of France's debt. So if Italy goes down, the European Union's gonna is finished. I mean, but the EU faces may, three really critical problems. There's the refugee crisis, which, which we've talked about in the past. There's the whole QE zero interest rate policy and austerity that's killed European economy, stone dead. And then suddenly now we're seeing nations who want to reassert their sovereign rights. And of course, Italy was a great example of that. They had the parliamentary election in early March. And the five-star movement got around 32% of the vote. And then there's this centre-right coalition of three parties got 37% of the vote. And this sort of incumbent government at that time, the Democrat Party, got about 20% of the vote. This was a clear mandate. We've had enough of conventional politics. Um, and we, you know, from, from the electorate. Now, of course, the problem with proportional representation is you always end up with coalition governments, which can be problematic. And of course, they had to have a coalition government. Now, of course, then they, the, the five-star movement in league have formed this coalition. And, and then it started to run into problems because of the, what they deemed the Italian president, uh, Mattarella, because uh, he vetoed a list of potential members of the government proposed by this prime minister, who was the candidate, Giuseppe Conte. And that was supported, obviously, by the five-star movement and the legal movement. And they're saying, well, it caused a constitutional crisis. And we, you know, we need to look to impeach Mattarella uh, under this Article 90 of the Constitution. And Di Maio, who's obviously the leader of the Five Star Movement, was holding, they want a new parliamentary election. He says, after the impeachment of Mattarella, and one, one aspect of this um, centre-right um, coalition called the Brothers of Italy have supported the the five-star movements demanding the resignation of Mattarella. And, you know, this is the idea we want to impeach him. Now, the thing with Mattarella is he rejected the list of ministers due to the candidacy of this Paolo Savona, who was proposed as a, as a candidate for the Minister of Economy. Now, Mattarella is opposing Savona's view on EU monetary policy. Now, what's kind of interesting um, is that the head of the centre-right, the Forza Italia party, who's Berlusconi, who is, who is anything but a, a political establishment guy now, he may have been in the past, but he supported Mattarella saying, no, this is, you know, he called, you know, ideas to impeach Mattarella as irresponsible. Unsurprisingly, you might say the Democrat party have also, who's obviously um, the former Prime Minister Renzi have also supported, you know, this view saying it's irresponsible. Now, of course, people got a bit, also got a bit upset in the fact that Mattarella is spoke, was said that he'll make the ex-IMF guy, Carlo Cottarelli, this interim PM, because obviously the Prime Minister-designate Conti was unable to form a new government. Well, so, but... The question is, okay, you know, immediately people see IMF, immediately they think, oh, it's a technocrat being put in. Now, of course, that's not entirely the case as we'll come to, because the other thing with this Liga party, Salvini, he demanded that Mattarella call new parliamentary elections, and um, and they wanted a new date for elections, and, and basically Salvini's saying it's not a political election, but a referendum on preserving democracy. Well, yeah, that's a very valid point, it is. Now, the thing with Cottarella stated is that he wants a new election in Italy, 
as soon as possible if he doesn't get a wins a vote of confidence in Parliament. Now, the chance of him winning a vote of confidence in the Parliament is nearly nil because, you know, even if he comes up with this budget that he wants to approve, uh, the reality is they're not going to support him because 79% of, of, the, of the Parliament are against him straight off. So effectively what he says is, well, the government will have to resign and then the elections are probably likely to happen from August onwards, probably more likely to be September. Now, what he's also said is, in this case, if he, the government resigns, the main task is everyone's got to prepare for another election. And he said the government will remain neutral and Cotterelli said he's not going to nominate himself or ask any commitment from other members of, of the government. Now, the thing with Mattarella, who's obviously the president, is, look, he's not cabal. But from Mattarella's point, because of his job and his role, he had no choice but to do what he did. Because from his perspective, Savona's comments and conduct were in violation of the Italian constitution. And from what I understand, if you study the Italian constitution, you'll find that's the case. The one thing that perhaps surprises people is the Italian president has very long-reaching powers to defend the constitution. And by all accounts, that's what he did. He's obviously a top constitutional lawyer, and he's not a corrupt Italian politician. And the, the issue is, at the end of the day, all it's doing is, is they'll put in this Cotterella or Cotterelli in, in an interim role. There's going to be new elections, probably September, maybe October. And yes, Italy has huge problems economically and socially, and we can come on to that in a bit. And all they're going to do in the time being is put this guy in, in an interim role. The chances are he's not going to be able to fulfill anything because no one's going to allow him to do so. And it's not a question of trying to hardball uh, this uh, coalition out of government. The problem is they made the mistake where they should have thought more about who they wanted to put into office. And then they would have avoided all these problems. Um, the, the question is, though, Italy is going to implode at some point. And with it, so will the entire EU and the euro. But it's not going to happen because the Italian president's not doing his job. And what have we seen today? Well, you know, the bond, the the bond market imploded. You see the two year, it's incredible. Last week, or middle of, sorry, May, it was practically the two years, the yield was negative. Even last week, it was at about 0.1. It got as high as about 2.5. I think it was up at 1.180 basis points on the day. So the bomb, I mean, that, that's a route like you just wouldn't wouldn't conceive could be possible. By all accounts, this trader was saying no prices were being quoted at one point. Liquidity in the banking system is drying up and the local domestic exchange, the MTS, closed down. I mean, to put this in context, these are bigger increases in the yield than were happening at the height of the euro crisis in 2011. And it's, supposed to, and it's likely, I, mean, I don't know what it is currently because it's fluctuating all over the place, but it's probably going to be the biggest rise in nearly, well, 26 years. So, I mean, the problem with Italy is, is, I mean, it's almost been priced that it's going to leave the euro. And yes, at some point it will do. All this has done in, in a sense is, is delayed the process. And, you know, the, the five-star movement and leaguers should have thought more about what they were doing. And in the end, they would have had the governance to carry on doing what they're doing, but they wouldn't even put their own candidate forward to, to be prime minister, which I think was, was, was not the most sensible move. But ultimately, Italy will collapse. I mean, its banking system's teetering. And when its banking system goes down, France will have major problems, and therefore, so will Germany. So it's an inevitability what's going to happen. And yes, the markets are basically pricing in that Italy will leave the euro. And yes, Italy doesn't want sanctions with the Russians anymore. It's making all it, you know, this coalition made all the right noises it's merely going to delay it because if there's an election in three months or so inevitably they're likely to get an even higher percentage of the vote but next time around they need to make sure that they structure their government correctly and at the end of the day people can say what they like but the issue with Mattarella is he has a job to do and if he doesn't do his job properly then then he's going to be on the hook for in the future where someone says hang on a minute you didn't do your job properly so he's not going to put his own neck on the line to save any government. I think the issue of choosing um, 
what is an ex-IMF guy as uh, Cotterelli's cause obviously caused a lot of consternation because people think, oh, they're just putting a technocrat in, he's going to railroad the government. But he's basically said, if I don't get a mandate, I'll resign. We'll have another election and I'm going to remain completely neutral and walk away from it and have nothing to do with it. So that doesn't strike me as someone who's a, who's a technocrat because the technocrat would go, well, I'm not going to gain any confidence from, from the government. I mean, or the, the, the you know ruling parties, I'll just press it and do exactly what the hell I like, when I like, which is exactly how most European nations have functioned, as we know anyway. And, and Italy's been a prime example of that. They've had technocratic governments in the past who've who completely ignored the will of of everybody. Well, that's not what Cotterelli's doing. I think you, know, you could arguably say, well, maybe you know from the public perception, you could have put someone else in, but I don't. I don't think this is a hijacking attempt by the cabal to do anything. I think it's just a it's just a, a way of diffusing a problem, but the but it's not made the problem go away and it's also it's done its cause of bond route a route in the Italian stock market. And the problem is it's had a contagion effect already because as a result of that, what do we see? Deutsche Bank's share price went below ten euros. I'm not sure it may have even hit an all time low. It got roundabout where it was it was below 10 euros back in sort of mid to late 2016 um you know as just a small example the france's credit default swap raised 50 basis points because immediately of course as we said when there's fear about a collapse in italy then then obviously the risk of a credit default um in france increases substantially as well for the reason why we said that they're on the hook uh with with the italian banks and therefore it will have a contagion effect if it comes to play and what we're seeing is just kind of maybe a knee-jerk reaction to that in terms of as we said deutsche bank share price which going below 10 euros etc etc and there are other indicators which shows there is some kind of fear of a contagion effect depends how quickly this dissipates and and what's the european central bank going to have to do to they're going to try and step in and and stabilize the bond route i don't know we it remains to be seen but you know i think i've just checked now the the yield still 120 basis points up today i mean it's it is down from where it's about 170 180 but that's still very very high i mean to get a, a an increase in one day like that is pretty unprecedented yeah. but it shows yeah that italy is teetering and it is true once italy goes uh, that's the day then it's, then it's the end of the use yeah and we've always said that italy is the nation that will take the european union down and it's almost an absolute certainty it will be france and germany won't and but it, italy it, is oh, the achilles heel here's another thing that a lot of people are missing here the eurozone banks go down guess who the eurozone banks are intricately linked with uh at, at, at many levels, and that would be Euroclear and the Clearstream. Both of those yeah, and also, bond clearinghouses are linked to these European banks. They go down, that could set up a trigger for a U.S. bond failure. Well, it will do, and the other point is if, if Deutsche Bank goes down, well, it's going to have a massive problem for U.S. banks in the process. So, yeah, because Huge. the one thing they stupidly did, well, um, well, not the one thing, because they did many stupid things in 2008, but they effectively lassoed all the banks together. In the West, which was, which is probably what, well, arguably the most stupid thing of the many stupid things they did, because there's always that risk. If if, I mean, yeah, if banks in Greece go down, they can absorb that problem. If something in Portugal, and we've seen banks in Portugal struggling, we've seen banks in in Greece, and the list goes on. But if um, but if the Italian banks creak, and they've been creaking for years, and they eventually just fall over, then you've got a massive problem. And then you've got all the debt. That, that I mean, you know, the the Liga and the Five Star Movement wanted uh, the the ECB to basically uh, say, "Well, give us some uh, debt relief on 250 billion euros." I mean, that's just that's only a small proportion. So they they've got massive problems, and the European Central Bank's in no position to be able to deal with that or cope with that because the problem is. If they gave them debt relief, what do they think Greece is going to do and all these other nations? I'll go, yeah, we want debt relief as well because you can't just give it to the Italians. So they were never going to do that. But that was that was never designed that, that you know, this coalition 
would ever expect to do that. But it's a bargaining tool to put pressure because they've got enormous leverage on the European Union or Brussels simply because of the fact of what would happen if Italy does collapse because it would cause a huge contagion problem for the French and then and then the Germans. And if Germany and the European Union and the euro goes down, well, it's inevitable so is that so is the US banks in the process because they've lassoed them all together in the most intricate, complex ways that that will just make the contagion problem happen rapidly. And that's exactly why it was a big enough problem in 2008, which is why they, okay, they should never have done what they did, but they reacted where they did because they went, you know, the entire Western financial system's on a precipice. Well, they've made that far more likely and far more of a problem than it was back then because of how they structured the banks and decided inexplicably to do what they did. But this is why Italy's a big problem and, and why we've said, we talked about this before, and I've talked about it in the podcast on and off uh, for a considerable amount of time, is that Italy is, is always was expected to be the nation that takes the European Union down. And just because the, the government's failed to achieve its objective, and doesn't, it doesn't mean it's still going to happen. I mean, the European Central Bank's on the one hand breathing a sigh of relief, but also now it's not breathing a sigh of relief because it's going, well, hang on a minute. The fact they haven't been elected and the fact that everything's uh, blown up the way it has now, it, Italy's as big a problem as if they had been elected and talked about walking away from Russian sanctions and wanting debt relief and the, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all the things they promised. But Italy <clears throat> fulfills all the criteria, which we said at the very outset, which is they have a huge issue with, with migration because a lot of, obviously, migrants coming via north africa into sicily and then into italy so the refugee crisis is a big problem they've had issues the qe zero interest rate policies killed their economy it's, it's destroyed their banks and also now they have the reassertion of sovereign rights which is coming about which certainly italy wants to reassert itself and that was the whole point of this coalition but it's not some cabal plot to to destroy these parties because there's going to be another election probably september and they're going to get you know, the chances are the democrat party is going to get about 10 percent to the vote they're just going to increase their vote it's not going to decrease it's not like the electorate's suddenly going to go oh we don't want to vote for these people because in their mind there is some conspiracy going on so they're just going to galvanize and harden their stance more that they want to um to, to vote these parties back in, form a government. And ultimately, we may not even get to that point where that even happens. I don't know. I mean, undoubtedly, there'll be attempts to stabilise this, but it shows how easily you can have a trigger point that can cause a huge contagion problem that the European Central Bank can't contain. Now, that, whether it's now, next week, next month, next year, doesn't really matter. The point is we're seeing a clear example of what happens in the European Union and why the idea that, you know, they could ever keep this insanity going is, is proved to be impossible and they can't. And the European Union is dead and buried. It's in the intensive care unit along with the dollar and everything else. And it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And that's why nations are already looking to form the new Europe, which is sovereign nations trading with each other exactly what the European common market was when it came into existence. And of course, that was just a ruse as they stripped the edifice back and it became the European Union, which uh, from a Brussels edict, which is about no sovereignty, nations having no you know, autonomy and freedom to trade and do whatever they like, but falling under the umbrella of the, the European rules and regulations, which is, and that's the thing that, that, that by Britain, leaving or the brexit vote it doesn't matter whether britain leaves or they can carry on having these discussions till they're blue in the face and it doesn't matter whether britain leaves or doesn't leave or they have another referendum vote and it doesn't happen it's not going to stop what's happening the the brexit vote was a huge wake-up call where europeans went do you know what britain's look got a way out of this we're going to find a way out because we've had enough as well we don't want to be part of this European Union as it were. Now, so it was a catalyst. It was a big domino flip in the event-driven scenario, and it didn't really ultimately matter because the European Union's dead and buried, and the likelihood is it'll be dead and buried long before Britain even 
eventually does leave the European Union. So it's irrelevant. That's why I don't talk about it, because it's, it's, I don't care whether Britain negotiates a customs union or doesn't, or has problems with its, its common border between North and South Ireland, or whether the, you know, the May government is utterly useless at negotiating. It, it's completely irrelevant. Because it's just a, a sideshow from what's really going on in Europe, which is the demise of the European Union. Yeah, absolutely correct. Europe is dying in uh, a death by a thousand lashes. They're self-emulating. Um, it, it's absolutely bananas over there, Paul. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, no, well, and well, yes, because the the point is that, I mean, economically, even the strongest nations, such as Germany and are going well hang on a minute we we just had enough of these sanctions because the sanctions are destroying our economies it's done nothing russia's actually economy strong now without with sanctions i mean the, the russians don't care if the europeans want to keep sanctions it's and speaking like, of russia and uh, sanctions i can I, I guess we could segue into this i mean recently that, that meeting between putin and macron <laughs> where macron was absolutely trolled by Vladimir Putin, it was hilarious. Paul, you can segue into that, but go ahead with the sanctions. <laughs> well, no, the well, the point is with. I mean, I covered a, a huge, extensive double podcast yesterday for about the Saint Petersburg International Economic Forum. But it, it, in one sense, Macron went to to the US thinking, you know, he's going to be buddies with uh, with uh, Trump. And the JCPOA and everything else just proved well that was never going to be the case. So then he, he then goes, well, actually, I'm going to, you know, he was always supposed to go to the SPIEF and then he went along and, and, you know, then once, you know, uh, Putin to be his, his buddy too. There, there's a lot of very positive developments that went on from the French perspective. But bear in mind, again, these are transient people. It doesn't matter what Macron does or doesn't do because in the end, Macron will be collateral damage in geopolitically. He, he, when when the European Union eventually dissolves and Europe integrates with Russia, the chance of Macron being still president or is is very unlikely, because he's under so much heat. I mean, the unions are absolutely livid with him with all his reforms. And as we said before, if you upset the unions in France and you and you're in government, in, invariably it doesn't bode well for you. And I think that's very likely the case. And that that's the point. There's like a two-tier sort of European Union at the moment. And the strange thing is Macron actually is now starting to go towards the tier that wants to form the new European Union. Although the only thing is he's not doing it from that perspective because he, he has his own designs and ideas and actually some of them marry up with the new European model, but not entirely. And I suppose it's like the one thing that happened with, with the SPIF. Who wasn't present there? Merkel. No, absolutely not. So that tells you a lot about the reality of Merkel. But Merkel, once again, is deeply unpopular in Germany. The coalition is weak, to put it mildly. And eventually, at some point, uh, you know, Merkel will become political collateral damage as well and will no longer be the premiership or the chancellor in Germany. That's an inevitability as well. But this is why when we talk about what's going on, all these events and all these things are all interlinked. It does. It's not about what happens in one nation. I mean, removing the, the cabal and the deep state and draining the swamp, whatever you want to call it in the US, is a hugely important component because it won't just open up the floodgates in, in the US. It will open up the floodgates in other parts of, of the world in the process. So it's, it's hugely relevant and hugely important. But it, it's, it's only a, a small component of that. All these other things, when, when all the things that happened at the SPIEF are massively important and they're all relevant to the big changes that are happening. And every day there's major events happen. They are all part of the event-driven scenario. They're all very important components. And, and that's why it is. It's not just about talking about one particular nation or one particular aspect. It's about it's getting a, a rounded view of everything that's going on and, and in the process. That's why it's important because Europe is a hugely important battleground for the cabal because when they've lost control of Europe, uh, that really essentially that 
they've lost control of everything in in terms of their ability to influence things because if Europe completely rotates away from Washington, Washington has no support. But Trump doesn't care about that. It's not really of any concern to Trump. Remember that the, the goal is it's taking a wrecking ball to the cabal. The only thing, the only problem I have with some of Trump's uh, foreign policy is is the blowback on the U.S. going forward, and <clears throat> that that is the potential risk. But I mean, if you're going to destroy the dollar, you have to take those risks, and they there are going to be collateral damage for the U.S. in the process. And then it does come back to the point that whilst you know China, Russia, no. Trump's not cabal. The problem they have is, is while his policies mimic that of the cabal, so walking away from North Korea and walking away from the JCPOA, they naturally have uh, reticence about it. But they uh, ultimately they know what the end game is, and the and and there is and the and the end game isn't some collusion between the Russians, the Chinese, and the Americans. That's not how it works. Absolutely not. But they know full well what Trump's trying to achieve, and ultimately. With a bit of luck, Trump will achieve that. But it much depends on what happens, I think, in the next few months, because if he gets stymied in the midterms, and I'm not saying he is because, by all accounts, his support is galvanizing in the US, but if he capitulates and, and loses the midterms badly, he's going to be stymied. I mean, what can you do as a president? I mean, it's quite astonishing um, for a lot of people when you explain how the the US political system works because in the you know in the UK, if you're the government, you can have you have five years. And even if you're a you know a terrible government, you'll 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 last for five years. You don't have a kind of midterm, which means Trump gets in in January of 2017. And in less than two years he could be struggling to to actually have a functional government if he loses badly in the midterms. That that seems very retrograde. I don't I think that's a very flawed political system that effectively gives a president less than two years where he could end up not really being, well, notionally being the president, but not actually being the president if midterms go against him. So this is a big problem. I'm, I think he probably will be okay in, the, in that regard, but yeah. there's no guarantee. So he's up against it. What's he got? It's now already, well, to, to all intents and purposes, June. But I mean, so, so that's a big problem and he's having to still deal with all the nonsense going on with the whole Russiagate thing and yeah. and the Mueller investigation. Although, you know, bit by bit, you know, that wall's being chipped away and the facades and everything's falling apart. You made a point earlier where there's been a big play that everything points to, to London. Well, yes and no, but the cabal uh, deep state operations in terms of intelligence always works between the British and the American. Right. It doesn't mean that that the British instigated this, the Trump thing. No, mm -hmm. the reality is the U.S. Um, admin, well, the U.S. intelligence services utilize the British as a backdoor way to do to achieve their aims in terms of the deep state aspect right. to try and usurp Trump. That's the difference. They use it because rather than doing things directly by doing it through the back door and using British agents or whatever they, yeah, the, the actual the reality is. Yeah. So that's what it is that they use. And, and likewise, it's absolutely undoubtedly the case that the British will have used the US in, in various capacities over the years for exactly the same reason. Oh, absolutely. Because it's they then. The same deep yeah, state. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's not as though it's all, you know, I think there's been a little bit too much focus that it's all the British fault why this is going on. No, there's a, yeah, there's a deep state cabal in, in the UK and in and the US and they, they function and operate together. Correct. They don't entirely. They don't entirely agree on everything, of course, and and that that of that it's clear. But but yes, that's undoubtedly there would have been collusion between deep state operatives in the UK and the US to say, well, we really can't afford to have Trump as as president. What are we going to do to try and stop this happening? Yeah. And and it's a very clever way. Well, they thought it was a very clever way, but of course. Ultimately, the damage, and this is why I say when when you start to to take a wrecking ball to the cabal in the U.S. and and the U.S. offers the best opportunity to do that of all nations, that it will have a a lot of collateral damage across the U.K., Europe, and and everywhere else as it as that facade breaks down and falls apart. And this is this is why, yeah, I, d I don't 
I don't subscribe to everything that the, the likes of Q say, but I subscribe to the view of what Trump's trying to do. I've never deviated from that. I do criticize some of the foreign policy, but it's because his, his you know, administration's been hijacked. I think that's absolutely clear. And there's some fight back happening with North Korea. That's hugely positive. So there's a lot of positive things, but you know, it's like anything. If Trump does the right thing, we'll say the administration's doing the right thing. If they're not, and we think, and we think there's, we should be critical of things, we'll be critical. But it doesn't mean we despise Trump or, or don't support him or don't support him when he's doing things. I don't care who's the president of the U.S. What I care about is they do the right things for the for the U.S. people. And I think Trump offers the best opportunity to do that at the moment. But if he makes mistakes, then we'll we'll say, well, we don't agree with this. We're not. I'm not a yes man for anyone. It's like, you know, it's like the Russians. The Russian uh, Duma came in with some um, legislation regarding the European Union and counter sanction. And part of the legislation which was deferred in the Duma was ridiculous because effectively they were almost alienating European nations from trading with them in the future. And people said, hang on, we don't, this needs to be reviewed and therefore we're not going to agree at this time to, to implementing those rules. So, yeah, if the Russians make big mistakes, we're going to point out if Putin makes a howler, we'll, we'll mention it. But largely, it's very hard to be critical of what the Russians and the Chinese are doing. But if, it, if in the, some point in the future, there is a reason to criticize them, then we'll do so. But but unfortunately, yeah, a lot of the focus is on the U.S. because that's where the, you, you're trying to you know tackle the seven-headed Hydra, which is the 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 cabal deep state, and it's so it's going to be a lot of focus, and it's not an easy task. And Trump could have just spent the rest of his years playing on the golf course, going, "It's not my problem. I don't care what. I, it's not going to affect me one way or the other, which or what happens." But he didn't take that attitude, so he does deserve a lot of praise, but. It's not an easy job, but he will make mistakes. And I think at times the U.S. foreign policy has been you know, ill-advised. And I hope it doesn't have a long-term blowback on, on the U.S. going forward. But ultimately, I think we're seeing on a day-by-day basis that the whole kind of deep state cabal apparatus inside the U.S. is falling apart and things are getting more and more exposed. And it's, But it's never going to be uh, this moment of, well, the whole thing collapses. It's it's a slow motion demolition, right. and that we're seeing it. And I think there's a lot of reason to be positive, and uh, that that's happening. But equally, I'm not I'm not convinced certain people in the in the Trump administration doing all they can do in that regard. I I'm, I share your criticism of of Sessions. I just don't think he's doing enough. Yeah. I think he's had opportunities <laughs> <does> he? and. <laughs> I mean, you made it. You made a very valid point. Why did he, re, you know, recuse himself from the Russia investigation? Because if he hadn't done that, there would have been no need to have a special counsel. Correct. Exactly. So you know, and and I support the view. I mean, you that also made the point. Here. The the, uh, the 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 new attorney general over, I think, in in Virginia is Rod Rosenstein's buddy, who's been given a blessing by Sessions. I think you made yeah. that point, Paul. Yes, exactly, and and you know, so there are there are reasons to question, and what I mean, I I can't get inside the head of Sessions. I don't know. All we can do is deal with the reality, and I think there's more he could be doing. But I, but it, just because he's not doing it doesn't mean there's some you know grand plan why he's doing what yeah. he's doing what he's doing. You can't run an administration on the basis that that you know there's some grand plan going on where someone's not doing something. Oh, don't worry, they're not doing it because it's part of the plan. You you eventually have to come to the realization that you know that I don't doubt there are plans, there are moves to to totally destabilize and and destroy the the cabal deep state. I I don't doubt that, but it's not as convoluted as that. Every time the U.S. does something that you 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 can analyze and come to the conclusion it might not have been the best decision. Well, you know it's part of a plan. It's um, it just doesn't wash. It doesn't make sense. But yeah, overall there. Undoubtedly, there are moves. I mean, we said it way back. That's Trump's role. That is Trump's only role, really, ultimately, because until the deep state is no longer influencing Western governments, including the US, the UK and everything else, you can't hope to achieve anything. It's impossible. And the only ultimately, the only way you do that is to destroy the dollar. And when and that's why the dollarization and the end of the dollar is hugely important. So 
you can arguably say by Trump walking away from the JCPOA, he's done exactly what Obama and Kerry did want to happen because he is actually, by his actions, helping to create and facilitate the move to, to, to kill the dollar in the process. But that's just a, is not the re actual reason why he did it. He walked away from it because he was given enough reason to believe that Iran was this nation meddling in the world and the Iranian people are suffering. And people, someone disagreed with me in, in, in the YouTube comments, but Trump does care about people. He does care. And that's his Achilles here where they can use that. Because remember mm -hmm. when he always used to come out with, well, what about the children, the women and the children being hurt in these nations? That's how they appeal to him. That's how they get him on side to, to, to come around to their way of thinking by using those sort of that strong language that is emotive to him and makes him go, well, if that's what's going on and that's what you're advising me, we have to do something about it. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why he agreed to do things in Syria, why he walked away from the JCPOA, and also, you know, why he was advised, clearly he was advised to walk away from the North Korea summit. Someone in the administration has obviously taken Trump to one side and go, you simply cannot do this. You have to get this summit back on track because otherwise at the end of the day nations will just walk away from the u.s and the u.s will just be left sort of floundering with no no presence on the world stage it's important the u.s does become part of this not because kim jong-un wants the u.s to 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 say oh we need your blessing it's nothing like that it's part of the process that the u.s can be seen to do a positive thing on the world stage that's going to Huge, that's a huge slap on the back for the Trump administration. But also it goes some way to restoring a, a small degree of confidence that the U.S. as a nation is capable of making the best decisions on a world stage. It's an important part of the process. So walking away would have been a disaster. And, and it wasn't some plan to make. And there's all these stories. Oh, well, Kim Jong-un's gone running off desperately wanting uh, to, to have the meeting. No. What did Kim Jong-un do? He went immediately, he went to Moon Jae and said, right, let's have another meeting in the demilitarization zone. What were they saying? Both the leaders were saying, we can deal with this on our own. We don't need you. And that's why the U.S. has come back. And, and someone's pointed out, you know, if we're going to be a nation that's got any future on the world stage and has any credibility, we need to make sure we're part of this process and seen to facilitate the smooth transition that the U.S. can walk away from places like the Korean Peninsula and be a, a real positive influence on affecting change. Because I don't doubt if the U.S. actually does things that are in that regard that are will be of benefit to the likes of the Korean Peninsula, they've got great people who can make this happen. And, they, and they, the world can turn around and go, do you know what? The U.S. has done a great job in, this, in assisting the process, in helping the Russians and the Chinese and the, and the North and South Korean and building peace in the region. And the U.S. in the process can say, we have no reason to be here anymore. We can walk away from it. We don't need to have a military presence. That, you know, on a world stage, that would be a real wow moment for, for the rest of the world. Now, of course, the Boltons of this world don't want that to happen, but who cares right. what the Boltons of this world want? Because, you know, the neocons are rather like the, the deep state, whatever, and, and they're probably interoperable to some extent or to a large extent, become irrelevant. Yep. So who cares what, you know, that's the important part. They have to be building for the future. Do make the right steps and build for the future, but don't, don't, you know, forget the fact that you, you was, whilst you do take a wrecking ball to, to the cabal and in the process of wrecking ball to the dollar, don't bust and, and damage relations with the rest of the world irreparably in the process. And if they can, if the U S can come out with kudos out of the Korean peninsula, that's a huge bonus. And that, yes. and that, that's something that could, really you know work hugely in favor for the us in the future and and that's what we want you know i more than anyone i'm not a us citizen obviously but i want the us to be a strong nation amongst equals because when the us is a strong nation amongst equals and and functions well in the world that's hugely beneficial to every other nation on the planet mm -hmm. and we know the us you know the us has great potential to do that and if it does that then that will be hugely beneficial to the U.S. as well and the U.S. nation oh, as a whole, yeah. but also to the rest of the world. And that's what I want more than anything. So, yeah, if I'm critical of Trump, it's because I want the U.S. to do the right thing so it does have that opportunity to do that sooner 
rather than risking being completely isolated and cast you know, into the shadows for, for X number of years while the rest of the world decides if they can trust the US again or not. And you know, it's very sad, you know, because the nation of people shouldn't have to suffer the consequences. But but unfortunately, and you know, the one thing, what did the more than anything that Putin kept saying at the SPI, yeah, he never stopped using the word trust. Yeah. And it's something we mentioned a few weeks ago. Trust is everything to the Chinese and the Russians. So as much as everything's going on, the US starts to get that trust back. That's a massive, massive uh, bonus and and a massive uh, step in the right direction if the US foreign policy can, you know, manage to achieve those it's objectives. It's such a recalcitrant foreign policy. It's a schizophrenic recalcitrant foreign policy. It's insane. It's insane. Well, yeah, and it's com- and it's, it's deeply kind of- insulting to the US people that that it's being done on their behalf. Yeah, we or, should be insulted or, that we have a foreign policy like this. It's insulting to us. No, it's it's insulting, yeah, because, and the UK's equally, you know, yes. uh, response. I mean, the way the whole Scripple affair has been handled is just, is it's just beyond the joke. It's farcical. Exactly. And, you know, and the UK's has, has got a lot to answer for, as have other Euro- as have European nations, et cetera, et cetera. It's not all about the US. Let's be sure. absolutely straight about that. But I, but truthfully, I think, the U.S. has far more in the future as as a strong nation amongst equals to offer the world than the U.K. does. Yes, it does. I mean, I think the U.K. is likely to become a provincial backwater, a bit like Switzerland, and and cuts itself off from the world because that's probably what Britain does best. It doesn't really like being part of anything, but but of course it's going to have to evolve and change. But I think I think yeah, the U.S. has far more potential to to be a, a positive influence in a multipolar world than the U.K. Absolutely. does currently. Absolutely. Paul, thank you so much for being on and sharing this information with us, man. It's always a delight to have you. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a huge, fast-paced, changing world. And uh, we try to do what we do and cover it off, but it's very hard to keep up with everything because it literally is. There's so much going on. It's unbelievable. Yep, absolutely. Folks, thank you all for listening in. Subscribe, like, and share, and comment on this channel. Also, subscribe to Paul's uh, um, newsletter as well as his daily intelligence briefs over at theseriousreport.com. And with that being said, CJ, we're over and out. Take it away.